0: This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found on Gadget Geeks, show number two seventy two, recorded on August fourth, twenty sixteen. Here at Home Gadget Geeks, we cover all the big tech gadgets that are to news, reviews, product updates, and conversation, all for the average tech. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from the NJDOT TV studios here in a stormy Bellevue, Nebraska. Mike, I uh,
1: had some crazy, crazy tornadoes. I saw one today. It was instant. I it was, was absolutely instant, and I hear you had a crazy experience. It was a water spout, so I was
0: coming, I was biking, and I came around the corner on this in this one area in Council Bluffs, and boom, there it was right in front of me. Now, I say right in front of me. It's probably three or four miles away. But it was a water spout, right? So it had hit Lake Manawa. That's one of the big lakes in our area. Just sucking up tons of water, you could see it shooting everywhere around. But it was, it was. Uh, when they do that, they're super dark and super defined. And so, Mike, it was crazy. I've never seen a tornado that close.
1: Or that well, and powerful. only in Nebraska do we hear the tornado siren and think, "Let's go on a bike ride." That's like the first thought. Is like, "Let's should have known go better." I should have.
0: Hey, I, I wasn't the only one out there.
1: There were people taking pictures and people were oh. stopping in their car. The sirens in I Nebraska. Stop and look. <laughs> yeah. It. Right. It's like drawing attention to something you can get a really cool picture of. It's actually nature's way of telling us, hey, there's something really cool going on. You should probably take right. a look at it, you know. Right. Well, it was pretty
0: yeah. cool. It was pretty cool. I survived it. And of course, we post this show with the World Class Show Notes each week out at the average guy dot TV. You can also join us live on our on our mobile app and actually I have to reach out to LastPass to see if they want to renew that, but our mobile app, get easy access buttons to subscribe to it at homegadgetgeeks.com. Literally one click and you're in. Great way to listen to the show, especially on the road. If you're not downloading it or whatever, you can get those out there. Go to homegadgetgeeks.com. We want to thank LastPass for sponsoring that app. Homegadgetgeeks Gadget Geeks is a part of the Geeks Network. Find the links to this show and many other great podcasts out at thegeeksnetwork.com. And speaking of the Geeks Network, we are doing the Home Server Show Meetup in Indianapolis September 17th. So if you haven't signed up for that yet or you've been thinking about it, it's getting close. I mean, we are – can't believe how fast. I mean, we're a month and – A little over a month away. Say f- yeah, six weeks out from the meetup. Right. September 17th, Indianapolis. Head over to Home – no, yes, yeah, Home starts is the right one. HomeServerShow.com, and you'll see 2016 meetup. If you want to join us in Indianapolis, you get there. Uh, hotels are cheap. It's indie. We're there for a Saturday. It's tons of fun. Mike, I think I'm going to try and drag you out with me. I'm somehow. doing my best. Make it work, and uh, we will do that as well. I want to also remind you, we started a new Patreon uh, sticker thing. So this is the first time I've tried it. We're just going to see how it works. And so if you head out to theaverageguy.tv slash support, or just go to the page, and there's a Patreon link to the side. For a $3 pledge, we'll give you, let's see if we can do. I got these stickers. I'll cut them up individually so we can mail them to you. I'll mail them, put them 42-cent stamp. My business card and we'll ship those to you. I'm only doing 30 of these kind and then I'm not printing any more like this. So if you want to get in on the deal, go to the average support or head out to the average guy TV. Click Patreon, create an account. Just all you have to do one month and this would actually bill in September. So I'd send you the sticker uh, beginning of September or so one month, three bucks. You can stay with it. A great way to support the podcast and all the things that we do and I will send you, for the first 30 who do it, I will send you a Home Gadget Geek sticker, first of its kind, and you can say you got the first ever Home Gadget Geek sticker that we made.
1: Yeah, and if you're new to Patreon, too, it's just kind of a really cool platform. To If you listen to any other podcast, a lot of them will have Patreon, just a really fun, easy way. Once I found it, I was like, Wow, five of the podcasts I listen to. You can throw them whatever you want, however much it is. You know, even if you're just doing a quarter, uh, a dollar, whatever it is, three dollars for the sticker. A really cool platform to give back to those uh, creators who are giving you content every week. Yeah. Kind of fun. Good
0: way to try it out.
1: And I thought, you know, hey, that'll cover kind of
0: cover the cost of the sticker. I'm not, oh, not exactly. like a, I'm going to get rich on three dollars for some stickers. But right. we're also, um, if this works, uh, I've been Mike. I've been looking at this site called Sticker Mule. Just like it sounds, sticker mule all one word at stickermule.com. They do die cut, really nice versions of the stickers. And I think if this works, we'll do a hundred lot uh, for the next group, and uh, you can, we'll do, you know, we'll do something three, four bucks, whatever, and you can get the next version of the sticker. So I thought it'd be kind of fun. I always love yeah. stickers. I was disappointed.
1: I thought it was gonna be your head on the sticker, but you <laughs> maybe, know, maybe that's it, the number. I mean, that's the third. That's the yeah, third. We can wait for it. A collector's edition of Jim's head. Uh, you know that cartoon image. Of, I got a new
0: haircut, uh, so it looked look particularly good. There you Chris, go.
1: It would look great. Chris does
0: great. Hey, let's uh, let's introduce the guest real quick. Chris Nessie comes in and joins us today. Chris is a podcaster, and he's got his own podcast as well as his own podcast network. Uh, he, you can find him at Mr. Nessie on Twitter. His network is the uh, the Podcast Education Network or edupodcast.com. Uh, you can find him, probably the best place on his site that rock and rolls is at Chris uh, chris.com. Nessie, N-E-S-I.com, and his uh, podcast is called House of Ed Tech. Chris, welcome to Home Gadget. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Mike. It is great to be here. I'm I'm really excited. Yeah, no, great to have you. Uh, One of the things we talk about all the time is, in fact, last week we just did a whole show on Chromebooks, and we, of course, Chromebooks and education kind of go hand in hand. There's a lot of Chromebooks being used, as well as iPads and Windows devices, but uh, we covered that. You podcast in the ed sector, and uh, why don't you take a few minutes, just tell me a little bit about your podcast. Who's your target audience? Who are you trying to reach? How's tech involved? That kind of stuff. Kind of give us a promo of your podcast. Well,
2: uh, so my podcast, again, is the House of Ed Tech, and you can can find it anywhere that you find podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, all those great places. Um, So for anybody in your audience who may be a teacher, or if you know and love a teacher, please recommend my podcast to them. And my podcast will help teachers integrate technology effectively into their instruction. And that's the whole point. Um, my show, I release it twice a month, and it usually contains an interview where I'm talking with a teacher or uh, an administrator or a software designer or somebody who's creating technology for education. And I, I, I interview them. We, we have a great conversation Each episode also features at least one recommendation of a website, a resource that a teacher could hear about right there in the podcast and use right away in their classroom or their next lesson. Um, And then I'll also feature what I call the House of EdTech VIP, and that is somebody who I'm connected with on Twitter who is doing great things in education and using technology and other people should be connected to. So a lot of times in education you'll hear the term edu rockstar or edu celebrity we're just people
0: on teacher salaries let's keep that sh- let's keep it real yeah but you're using uh, technology to try and I mean I love it in the sense that I I see a lot of teachers hung out in the Google Ed space for a while and I saw a lot of teachers doing uh, virtual classrooms where they would they would they call each other right and across the world or across the street and they would share classroom time and space a great use of education in your space, when we think about the, how you're trying to connect teachers, what do you think is like the number one – I'm sure there's a message you communicate all the time with these teachers. What is that? What, what do you think is the main point in most cases or what technology do most teachers lack that you is your sweet spot when we think about your podcast? Well, the main thing that
2: I convey is – and I say this every episode to my listeners – is using technology isn't difficult. Just give it a try. And for teachers – they're not going to break Google. They're not going to break a Chromebook. You know, you might drop it physically, let's say, as an example. But you're, you're not going to break these websites out there that are geared towards bringing tech into the classroom and engaging your students. You're, you're not going to break it, so don't be afraid of it. But a lot of teachers, and I think this is also true of, quote-unquote, the average guys, um, you might be a little afraid to say, I don't know. You might be afraid to get your hands dirty. But there are those few of us who will get our hands dirty and it's okay
0: so do you find is that message you know certainly when we think about how well first of all how long have you been podcasting? I started podcasting in uh, January of 2014 okay so a couple years and certainly around all, and all around ed tech right yeah and so have you found the messages is morphing or changing do you find teachers are getting are catching on to the technology more and so you're having to get more advanced with your podcast because some of the basic stuff's catching on. People are getting it now. Or do you still find yourself kind of going back to the basics sometimes and still trying to pull those teachers in that, that haven't, you know, even haven't gotten some of the basic? Yes and no. So some
2: episodes are covering, like, like you said, some of this more basic content. And then I'll I'll loop back around to basic concepts or a website or a tool that's really simple for me and for anybody to use. But then there are some things that I'll talk about or recommend or I'll interview a guest about something that would be more advanced in terms of what are you integrating and how are you using it. And when I talk about it, it's like, okay, we'll get in the building on the ground floor, and then there are some people who are integrating tech at the penthouse level. I want to get everybody in on the ground floor, and you, you work your way up at your own pace.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's still a varying kind of audience. Would you give, if you thought about the tech community, maybe in the groups that you hang out, and you were going to give them a letter grade, you know, A, B, C, D, or F, on how they're using technology today versus two years ago when you started podcasting, what kind of grade would you get? A for effort,
2: of <laughs> course. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know that I could assess a grade to it even two years in because I, I know that a lot of people in my audience that I interact with, they're, these are people who, they're what we call lifelong learners. So they are constantly consuming content and reading and blogging and just sharing their experiences in the classroom. So I know I have listeners who are, they're getting out of the taxi to get into this high rise. And I do have people that are more advanced than I am. I mean, I don't claim to be the be all and the end all in the ed tech space. So I, I, I talk to everybody.
0: Yeah. And from a, from a show perspective and the way you're connecting to your audience, where do you feel you're, like you're getting your best engagement? So how are you connecting or where are you most comfortable or your favorite way to connect with your listener.
2: My favorite way is when they actually send in like audio feedback, so if they'll call the phone number or they'll send me a message through SpeakPipe or an app I use called Voxer, V O X E R, and that's like a walkie-talkie app. Um, but the the primary place is, is through Twitter.
0: Yeah, so we were mentioning that in pre-show a little bit. So Twitter is is certainly from, you know, from a podcasting standpoint, all us podcasters kind of try to pimp our wares on Twitter that's kind of what it comes down to. We Mike and I and you were talking in the pre-show about trying to garner a little more interaction or a little more engagement with it than maybe the average person but it sounds to me like Twitter is a you know pretty um, a pretty useful communication tool for you. So who are you communicating with? How are you using Twitter? How's that working for you in the end space?
2: I will communicate with just about anybody who at, who I consider to be like-minded and interested in the same things in education, so people who are into ed tech and just good teachers uh, because the ones who aren't into education technology and are bad teachers, they're not on Twitter. <laughs> so I don't have to worry about connecting with people who aren't worth my time.
0: So does Twitter really differentiate between those that are using technology and those that aren't? From Absolutely. From
2: really. Uh, and, and and that's my opinion. I, I don't know if I would say that that's necessarily hardcore fact, yeah. but if you're what we call a connected educator, you're on Twitter, you're engaging, you're learning – and we're using things like Twitter chats. So we're using hashtag. And there's a chat every night of the week, every hour of the day, where teachers all around the world come together. I mean, one of my favorite ones is it's uh, the hashtag is BFC530. And that's for teachers, East Coast time, and really all around the world, who get up at, and participate in a 15-minute chat at 530 in the morning. One question, and it's every day. And they're... Are people that get up and they do this every day? Well, that's like
1: one of my followers that I just actually pointed towards you. Um, I noticed all the time hashtag like Catholic Ed Chat, right? Like she's involved in the you know Catholic education sphere, and I noticed that from her. And I actually have first you know because she talks all about it, she's very involved in it, and I have gone in and gotten involved with that hashtag just because they're talking about it. So it spreads even beyond the educators to people like me who might be interested in it. So you're right; those people who are engaged. Those educators who are really engaged, in it, I think, are the ones who are getting the most out of the technologies like Twitter and stuff like that. Chris, what kind, of,
0: what kind of? So you're it's 5:30 in the morning, and you've got a 15-minute chat. What kind of, you know, what's the benefit, or, or what kind of things would do you get out of that, or do educators get out of that in 15 minutes on Twitter? It's a positive place. So
2: in that 15 minutes, it's a positive question that instead of hanging your head like the students might as you go to school for the day. You've now started your day even maybe before you've had your coffee talking about education in a positive way and it really gets
1: you jacked up for the day.
2: Now what, what kind happens of questions after would,
1: that? You don't really have control over. What kind of questions do you guys talk about on there? Like what's an example of like one that was really successful in the chat? Well, we cover there's so many topics. So a question might be, you know,
2: talk about a, a lesson that, you know, didn't work and oh. why it didn't work. So you'll see for 15 minutes people tweeting about you know, here's here's something that bombed, I learned from it, and here's how I would do that lesson different next time, or here's that lesson I, I bombed, and if you want to try it, here's all the things you should do differently. So it's just like teachers helping teachers.
0: There's a lot of power in the, when you think about the habits of that, where you have teachers getting on, you know, 530 Eastern, let's say it is, so of course it's earlier here in the Midwest, and even earlier on the West Coast, but that you, you must get a significant amount to show up to be able to make this thing work. And it's interesting. That has worked well in the education space. Uh, there are a few other, you know, I know runners are this way too, or they have running chats or runner chats where you can go in there. And, again, they'll last for 30 minutes and a couple questions. That was an idea that really a couple years ago kind of caught fire in a lot of different circles, and then it's kind of died down. Good to hear that you're using Twitter for it, and it's working. It's really interesting how some of these, social media or these social networks take on kind of a life of their own and, and things that, I mean, so you have a vertical and we'll say in this case, the education is that vertical. You have them taking on the, you know, the, the using a tool. Most of everybody else has moved on, but you're still finding that very, very effective on Twitter. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. So do you participate? Do you get up and participate those, with, with those or how does that work for you?
2: I participate in a number of chats, and and the great thing is it's almost it's kind of like podcasting, it, not that it's time shifted, but I don't have to be there on a Tuesday night at eight o'clock. I could, you know, use a tool like TweetDeck, and I can put a column in and search for the hashtag, and I can monitor that monitor that hashtag, anytime I want, and and kind of go back and see a conversation I may have missed, um, which I do do. Um, I, I put in the show notes doc, um, something you can link out to. One website is called ParticipateLearning.com, and that's a website that they put out the schedule of all these chats when they take place, and through their website, people can log in with their Twitter account and participate in the chat. Um, And then another one is a uh, a Google site that just has all these education hashtags, and there have to be hundreds, if not a, a few thousand hashtags just for educators to jump in on all sorts of topics.
0: And do you find they're coming in after the fact? Sometimes uh, the Twitter's the Twitter chat has already happened. They might have missed it, but they're going to join in the conversation anyway.
2: Absolutely. Um, there, I've found new people to follow by going through and you know just by seeing the question that was asked, or you know the four or five questions over the course of an hour that were asked, and I can go and I can see the responses. And um, what well, one tool that that a lot of educators take advantage of? It's called Storify, where you can basically say from this time to this time, let's pull all the tweets with the certain hashtag, and then it'll put it on a web page, and you can go through and just see like a like a transcript of the
1: Twitter chat. That's cool. I've never heard of that one. Go ahead, Mike. Well, I was gonna say, so you know, I kind of see this as Twitter probably being the main platform for a lot of you educators to have these chats on. And what you just said kind of comes to my point is, so are, is there any problem with some of these educators maybe being a little more reserved with what they say about maybe a failed lesson plan because it is public and it might be polled onto one of these websites, whereas is there any engagement maybe on like Slack or something that might be a little more, hey, this is just us educators, it's private, you don't have to worry about anything that you say becoming public and then you being tied to maybe a failed lesson plan or anything like that.
2: I I think the culture has shifted though. There isn't that fear to put out your failure because in education, fail fail means first attempt in learning. Hmm. And amongst educators, we there's a big movement to promote failure, so we're not afraid. We can't tell kids it's okay to fail if we're not prepared to share our own failures. So, yes, something like Slack that you mentioned, that's up and coming. It's starting to take root for teachers, uh, like for conference planning, and, and I'm I'm dabbling in Slack myself. But you know, coming back to to that point. And I lost. It. It's been a long day.
1: <laughs> can you can you guys spread that mentality though to all the other industries? I think that's such an awesome mentality that the education sphere has about failure. I, and I well, just so I want to see that in other places because that's awesome that you guys have that on Twitter and you're not afraid to express. Those Mike, failures. you will see that,
2: but it's going to take about 20 years <laughs> for the kids who are in grade school now to get that's out true. there that's and, and become and remember what they learned as students when they become lawyers, right lots of podcasters and, and, and you know things like that right but we're set it, it's it's a movement that's now that we won't be able to harvest the fruit from till a little bit later.
1: Well, I, I'll tell you when it happens because it'll be the first time a lawyer tweets about his first loss in the courtroom that that has taken place because, I, you know, it's just – but I love seeing that. I, I kind of like that about the education sphere, and I think that's why you know that person I was talking about on Twitter who got me involved in that hashtag, it was interesting because you're totally right. They're very open. They're very free to talk about things, share ideas, and I think the education – um industry. is kind of one of the first ones that's kind of adopted that as, hey, this is a, we don't care if it's public either way. Public, private, we'll put it out there, and you guys choose to use the ideas, however you will, in your own classroom, which is well,
0: awesome. I think that leads to some successes, like, okay, so it how really do we does. do this? this did, like, we launched this rock and it blew up on the pad. Here's <laughs> how we built it. like, And somebody goes, oh, you should have done this, right? right. Or should think but about now that. what you're and,
2: seeing you know, is now things like Snapchat, you know, Instagram, yeah. Teachers are using these things in their classroom. They're periscoping their lessons, so anybody can watch it. You know, I uh, th- there's a superintendent here in New Jersey who he was periscoping out lessons, so teachers and administrators in other districts could see how they use their observation model and what effective teaching looks like. You couldn't do
0: that two years ago. Yeah. No, it's not great. really well. We do something similar, you know, I interview coaches uh, on our call to coach uh, program on, at Gallup, and we take feedback all the time from people. It's like, hey, this is what I did that worked for me, but what else could work? And sometimes that just, you know, pumps in the creative ideas on, hey, I did this, I tried this, this was the success I had with it, or it kind of fell flat. And then the community jumps in and says, well, hey, did th- you think about this, think about that. That groupthink is difficult. I mean, it does take a while because you get a lot of it, and not all of it's valid. Like, the crowd is not always the smartest thing in the world. I mean, there's a book written years ago called The Wisdom of the Crowd. Listen, the crowd is not always right, <laughs> as we see here in the United States when it comes to politics. But from from that standpoint, it it is um, we can learn from each other, and so it's one of those kinds of things where I love that idea, of getting those ideas out there, and I love that you know to see you guys doing that and getting that kind of feedback. We, we are a gadget show from that standpoint, and I know uh, for the last couple weeks, you know, we've talked about uh, iPads and Chromebooks and some of those kinds of things. Uh, Chris, besides some of the typical infrastructure you see in schools, what other technology that you know that you're working with, what else is working in schools? Are there, are there other gadgets out there right now we don't talk a lot about but that are making a difference in the classroom?
2: What I'm seeing is a lot of these... You know, stereotypical gadgets, or the, you know, the iPad, the iPod, Android tablets. That what's being used out there. We're finding ways to just bring those into schools. There, we don't have magical devices that are, you know, only for schools. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, touch screen mon, you know, touch TVs from, you know, places like Sony that are they're just giant tablets. You know, a 70 inch and 90 inch monitor, that's just you know in the classroom, um, or or giant table tablets that are, you know. They they look like uh like your folding table in the backyard, but it's a touch screen that the kids can interact with it, you know, but it's based on technology that we all know and love already.
1: Yeah. Does that drive engagement from the students when you find a gadget that they're already using at home, and now all of a sudden it's in their classroom, and they're thinking that's kind of cool?
2: Absolutely, because well, part of what we're taking on as teachers is, and the concept is digital citizenship. Which would be if we don't teach them how to use the tools—cell phones, Facebook, Twitter, uh, or their hardware—you know, "quote unquote" the right way. Who's gonna teach them how to use social media properly? Right. Because if they look to who they follow, they're not getting the best examples with, you know, crotch shots and <laughs> boob shots and you know, all sorts of stuff. They're, they're, we're not teaching them that in school. So, right. if we can engage them and say, "Hey, here's a better way to use your technology." That can help you get a job and be successful and do the things that you're passionate about. Yeah, kids get jacked up for that.
0: Do you find teachers are bringing their own solutions in? I mean, there there are certainly, when I think of Blackboard and some of those other school, you know, Google's got Google Classroom and some of those other things. Are you finding in your, especially when you're tweeting, are you finding teachers are kind of coming up with their own, you know, custom, you know, home built, home hacks, teacher hacks, whatever you want to call them, school hacks, uh, of things that are working for them, where they they're they're being a little non-traditional with the technology. There's a lot of
2: non-traditional in the ed tech space. Now, now, grant it's nice that there are tools like Google Classroom and and these more formal platforms out there, but you know, before that, like when I first got into education, it was like just the beginning of like Google Docs and Google Drive. So, at that point, I had to like make do, and a lot of teachers were making, you know, very bare bones websites and. That uh, there was no Wix or Weebly at that time, so I, I can't even tell you what existed in 2008 to make a website. But we did it. You know, I had like a WordPress.org, and I would send my middle school students to read the blog post. Here's where you could get the homework every day. You know, here's here's a YouTube video that you might want to watch. You know, I would do a blog post about it. So, but that's my mindset, and there yeah. were a lot of other teachers at that time doing the same thing.
0: Is that still working? Is what's still working? Like blog posts and YouTube videos? Is that still a way? Is that because yeah, that honestly, uh, you know, I have a high school internship at Gallup that I do, and that's how we communicate with the kids, right? That's we schedule homework in a blog post that's public; they can all see. Like, hey, here's what's due for next week. They can follow it with an RSS feed and some of those other things. And then, oftentimes, a lot of the instruction is done via YouTube. Seems like it's working today. Is that still a pretty common? Um, you know, do our students are watching a lot of YouTube. That's coming from suggestions from teachers and stuff like that. Oh, absolutely! Uh, videos are still highly engaging because,
2: as a teacher, I could find a video that, sure, I could plan a 45, miss- a forty-five minute lesson around a concept. But you know, there's a, you know, maybe a Khan Academy video that's two and a half minutes that'll give you that math concept. And then there are other websites out there that I could find any YouTube video, and pull in the video with the link, create multiple choice questions, and through this third-party site, kids can be quizzed and assessed by watching a video, and I can get the results.
1: So it's pretty cool. So like, on average, does the administration give the teachers kind of the freedom to bring in any of these tools, or are they kind of like, hey, we're worried about privacy, you know, kids' stuff, and are they kind of setting limits on what the teachers can bring into the classroom? That's where there's a lot of
2: inequity in education. Right. You know, again, I'm I'm from New Jersey and so so forget about from New Jersey to California how there could be differences in what we can and can't do as teachers. There's differences in what I do in my district versus the district in the next town. It depends on your superintendent, your administration and whether or not in my view
1: do they get it or they follow forward- <laughs> it. And how many thinking? lawsuits have been filed in that district from parents, you know? because that's right. sadly that sort of thing. Okay.
0: So it, it does. mean, it
1: yeah. could vary from one mile to the next, you know, one neighbor to the next, whether your kid is getting this sort of stuff in their classroom based on who's kind of running the show. I I can give you an exa- perfect example. The district I work in,
2: New Brunswick, New Jersey, uh, only last year we got, got a new superintendent, a new technology director, and the whole direction of the district changed. Forward thinking, whereas the previous superintendent and the previous person in charge of technology. They didn't get it. They weren't forward-thinking, and there was a lot of blocking, a lot of filtering, and and within four months of the new superintendent, all of a sudden, the district had Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and was putting out and promoting all the positive things, so that's just in the last 18 months.
1: When you think beyond a technology level, you always think of universities right, being the place where finally the teachers can say whatever they want, the kids can say whatever they want back to the professors. It's kind of this... Open dialogue, but you kind of limit that back to technology, and you're kind of seeing that as you know younger and younger, right? Okay, high school maybe a little more open, a little more, you know, back and forth. And at what age, you know, can we start um, delivering that? But with technology, it's kind of cool how, just like you said, if as long as you're allowed to, you can really be as creative as you want. And beyond the big, you know, Google Classroom, you can start being creative on how you bring your, you know course to your students and you're, it's really up to you on how you want to do that. It's I, I like that. I like that kind of open freedom to give teachers. They went into this industry for a reason, right? You don't become a teacher for the money. You become it because you really want to help the youth, teach them, educate them, help them become better people. So you're naturally going to bring tools that will help them do that. So I, I like to give the teachers the freedom to do whatever they want. I think it's important.
0: You should become a superintendent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> sure. Let's do it. I'll, I'll, I'll go for it.
0: Chris, we missed this. I was in such a hurry to get to the technology. We missed a little bit about you what do you teach and what 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 subject and then what's your what's your favorite from your standpoint what your what is your favorite technology
2: i am certified social studies so i've taught middle school and high school history and currently i'm getting ready to go into my fifth year where i manage the high school's in-school suspension program so a little non-traditional role in education so on a day-to-day basis i'm not instructing any one particular subject But I'm working with the kids who are, for lack of better words, being punished to make sure that they're keeping up with their work. Um, And since this big shift has happened in my own district, I've been able to now be more of like a tech coach. So teachers, I'm in the same room all day long. So teachers come to see me. I work with the kids who I have. And I, I helped them this past year. Here's how you use Google Classroom. Here's how you use Google Docs. Because for a lot of these kids and uh, the community, it's it's an urban district. These are kids who they don't have computers at home. They're not going to the library to use technology. So the six computers I have in my classroom, I'm able to work with these kids to say, yeah, here's how you send email. Here's how you do some of the things that I could do with my eyes closed, but it's new to you. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite technology is, again, just from being in school and education, any technology – is good technology. It's not about any one specific device, because I think kids and teachers should be exposed to as many different platforms as possible. And I, and I had told this to my superintendent. He had an open forum, and he was considering making the high school Mac only, and then have like Chromebooks available in the middle school and Windows in the lower grades. And I said, with all due respect, we should have everything available to our high school population, because you don't know where they're gonna go or what they're gonna do where, Maybe they need to use Linux, use Windows, use the Chrome operating system, you know, have Android stuff available, have Chrome boxes. So that's my thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds smart. Um, this is gonna be a tough question to answer, and we could probably talk the rest of the show on it. But you know, you you think about these students that don't have a computer at home, right? And how, how are we gonna how are we gonna solve that problem? Because it's it's super important that they have technology at home and at school. Right? I mean, they're at school a good chunk of the time, but we know when they interface with that technology at home, it, it can speed up the education process. As a, from an educator standpoint, what do you think of that? How do, we, how do we get that? How do we fix that? Jim, I don't want to sound like
2: the stereotypical teacher, but I actually
0: do have the answer to your question. <laughs> good. good, let's hear it.
2: <laughs> so a lot of districts in this country are using or have gone to what is called one-to-one, where every kid is provided a device. It could be an iPad, it could be a Windows laptop, it could be a Macbook, it could be uh, more affordably it's going to be a Chromebook of you know some model or make. Um, In my population, and I found out about this, there's a district in California where the district took the district school buses and outfitted the buses with the ability to send out the district's Wi-Fi network and so each day this district in California doesn't park the buses in a bus lot it parks the buses throughout the community wow. to create Wi-Fi hotspots for the students. Wow. So when you're when the kids at home, they can access school internet on a school device. And That's there's awesome. your answer. Which I brought that article to my, <laughs> I brought that article to my superintendent to say, he asked that same question that that you just asked. How can we do this for our kids in this community? And I said, boom, here's an article I just read today, yeah, about this
0: roaming so, Wi-Fi. That's a in. It's a, it's a great marriage because it's on a vehicle that only gets used through two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon, and it's done, right? And that's genius. That's pretty cool. You could, you could even mesh network that thing together. And oh, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't go that far uh, when we think about it, but, but very, very cool. You have, um, In the show notes, you'd mentioned some if this, then that uh, automation as uh, some of the tools you're using. We always think of that as advertising tools. How are you guys using, or how do you use If This Then That uh, in schools? I, I,
2: well, what I do is, and this is more towards what I do, not so much for my job but for the podcast and for how I connect so I can continue to learn. So I will automate, tweet all of my blog posts, all my podcast episodes. Um, I actually have it set. There's, a, We're not quite a mastermind, but I have five very close teacher friends who we all work in different districts in New Jersey and parts of New York, that we auto-tweet and share each other's blog posts. Um, and I have th- I, like I, I'll have, i send my blog posts automatically to, to Evernote and to Google Docs so I've got a backup of, of everything that I do. Um, and, and I share that with teachers to say, here's an easy way that you can not spend a lot of time doing some of these things that would otherwise take a lot of time to do. Um, if this, then that is great for anybody who wants to sit down maybe on a Sunday and say, all right, here are my tweets for the week. Here's when I want to send them out. And you can get that all scheduled. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's done. You don't have to worry about it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's cool. So as a kind of a teacher's a, a teaching aid to make sure stuff is arriving when it should or retweeted uh, kind of when it should, Brian Hour in the chat had said, when we talk about hardware, I was talking about how do we get, you know, uh, we, of course, talked about the kangaroo PC, very small, you know, very small form factor, very inexpensive PC. When we think about the best equipment, we were talking about getting computers sent home with kids, you know, so they can they could do it at home on their One, well, theft's always an issue, but what have you found? Have you found any hardware that works, some works better than others? Is it better to send home with a Chromebook or Windows laptop or, you know, what? How, in your opinion, what kind of equipment? If we're going to send it home and it has a propensity to be lost, stolen, or broken, what have you found that works well? Anything you put in the kid's hands is going to work well. I mean,
2: the iPad was designed for two-year-olds. Anybody K through 12 is going to be more advanced than two years old. They could take it home. Um, again, I, w- cost is always something that comes up in education. So I am on the Chromebook bandwagon. You know, there's no reason to go out and spend nine hundred dollars on a windows laptop versus i could for that nine hundred dollars i can get three four five chromebooks and if it breaks all right i i, I it's not it's no big loss
0: you know it's it's a hundred dollar device yeah. yeah not a big deal well it's interesting that because microsoft tried to play in that space for a long time and had all the tools to get it done they could have done it but never could get it done and somehow chrome came along and and you know, it's the only difference is the price of the OS, and Microsoft's done a lot of things to make that free, but it just never really took off. And yet, the Chromebooks have done extremely well in that space that you're talking about. That they're seen as these very inexpensive, you know. Um, although, when consumers are buying Windows laptops, they they <laughs> they want to buy those same cheap, <laughs> uh, inexpensive laptops. But but anyway, so good to hear from a from a you know from a Chromebook.
2: Well, um, and and to refer back to. Uh, I watched last week's episode of the show. I forget your guest's name. Uh, Nathaniel. Nathaniel. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he mentioned and brought up testing with the Chromebooks. Mm-hmm. I think part of the appeal of the Chromebook too is, and he mentioned this, the fact that it runs the the testing software that is used in many states throughout the country. So it's affordable, and it 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 lets the lets us test the kids till there's no tomorrow.
0: So. Mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah no it's it's super flexible uh, inexpensive they seem to be you know getting replaced pretty easy and they work at home right and actually you don't you, you do away with some of the windows problems that you have with security and safety and malware and you know those and things last that,
2: time I checked there's no blue screen of death on the Chromebook <laughs>
0: easy now easy anyways or beach ball from hell whatever they call it on Mac I don't yeah. know. yes yes there we go um, how uh, you know, one of the things we've always thought as podcasters is that podcasting the concept of podcasting rss feed being able to deliver audio content to the listener i always thought that'd be a great tool for the education system my right? kids could listen to additional instruction on their own time at home on the bus whatever is is anybody taking advantage of that is that can that is that happening in in the you know the k the k12 ed space i am part of a small movement i
2: i was a co-starter of a hashtag called hashtag PD. and what that hashtag has promoted for over a year now is getting teachers to listen to podcasts and also ways to use podcasting in the classroom. Uh, one example that I am aware of, uh, an English teacher in Connecticut used serial in her AP, is either AP government or AP English class and had the kids listening to the podcast and then in they had to create content as part of their final exam. So I think it was part of the content was like the law component of that, that podcast and then how to create podcast content by listening to a podcast. So that, that is happening. Um, there are a lot of districts that have their own podcasts. Um, one thing that I put in the notes is that I do present at conferences and one of my traveling sessions is called I Like to Say Stuff and You Can Too where I will, in a session, teach you how to podcast very basically and leave thinking, all right, I can do this and get content out to my teachers, or if I'm a teacher, how I can create for my students or get my students to create,
1: or you know, if I'm the district, how I can share what my district
2: is doing with the whole world. And I think that's
1: one of the biggest things. I think a lot of times us as podcasters focus on how can I get what we are saying out to the world, Instead of, hey, okay, we can use this technology to just get it out to a certain demographic, right? If you're a business, you're getting it out to your employees. We have these old antiquated systems of getting video and audio out to our employees. but hey, it's actually super easy. Us podcasters have been doing this for years. It's real easy. Let me show you. And I think if we focus on more of the tiny, you know, bringing it in a little bit. Us podcasters, not the world, we don't want as many listeners as we can. We want to get this out to just the people that we need to. And I, and I like hearing you say that you know, it's getting out to who you need it to. That's, that's the focus here. And if the students isn't the end goal, that's fine. But if it's the teachers, if it's the entire district or the state, the city, whatever it is, it's, it might be a better way than they have been of getting information out to people. Well, I, I think, and I, I don't know if this disagrees with what you said, but it,
2: it might sound different. And that the student is always the end game. You know, If I'm a teacher creating for my students, yes, I want the students to learn from a podcast I put out in my social studies class. If I'm the principal of a high school and I'm putting out a weekly podcast or, or, or a monthly show that spotlights my school, ultimately that's going to benefit the students because that's a marketing tool when it comes time to vote for the budget. <laughs> and, you know, so maybe not a target, is
1: target listener is what I should have said. They're not the target listener of it, but they're the beneficiary of the content that was delivered.
0: Yes, you know. students are always the beneficiary. Right, makes sense. Chris, what kind of podcast are you seeing that are being innovative and are not working well, do you think? I and mean, what kind of formats? Are, I, certainly I know you know who's podcasting in that space. You've got a podcast network that I'm assuming is doing some of this as well. What's innovative in that space today? What do you mean by innovative? And in, in, yeah, no, I so what I mean is, like, who do you think is doing it really, really well, taking advantage of all this technology that we have and having an impact or having an effect using podcasting uh, in that space? Who's thinking of it in a way that's being effective and innovative, something different, something new? You want names? Uh, well, no, <laughs> sure. i mean, sure, but I'm more interested in the concepts. What are they doing well? Like, if you want to throw names in, that'd be great. Um, I'm sure we can do that. Say, we don't have to protect the innocent, but what are they, what What do you think they're doing? What kind of things are they doing?
2: I, I'm going to be like a proud parent as well. And and um, Mike, you're going to understand this soon enough. So I'm, I'm going to brag about my kids. All right. Not my own kids, but the podcast on my own network because I'm the proud papa. So every podcast on the education podcast network is a high quality podcast in terms of production and in terms of the content. These are educators who are podcasters who get podcasting. There is another network out there, and I'm not going to give them the time of day. They literally have educators and people who create what I'll say is air quote podcasts where they literally just phone it in and somebody else puts it together. They they don't believe in the long form show. And the shows on the network that I that I run, it's it's varying lengths, varying topics. And, and I tell people who I approach about it, you know, you keep doing your show your way. You do the content you want to do. You reach the audience you want to reach. I just want to bring you together because you're a good podcaster and you're creating something cool. Um, I think that answers part of it.
0: Yeah, and so tell me, like if you are giving me an example of one of those in your network. So again, that's uh, edupodcastnetwork.com. If you're getting an example of one of your favorite ones in there that you think is really taking advantage of the podcast concept, which one would that be? I'm going to give you a couple. Okay, fair
2: enough. Uh, Angela Watson's Truth for Teachers, and that's the name of the podcast by Angela Watson. Um, The Cult of Pedagogy podcast with Jennifer Gonzalez. Um, And one of my favorites is called Better Leaders, Better Schools. And that's by a... He's an administrator in Chicago. His name is Daniel Bauer. Uh, Those are three people... Who really get podcasting? You know, they create podcasts the way, you know, like you create your podcast or a Dave Jackson or a da- or a Daniel J Lewis. That's how they create their shows. You know, they're high quality production. The audio quality is there, and they're bringing the content every week or every two weeks.
0: And, and are they all interview style, or how, how do that how are they actually what kind of genre, what kind of methods are they using in their in their delivery?
2: Uh, for example, Angela Watson, her podcast is. Nine and a half times out of ten, it's a monologue. And it's about 12 to 15 minutes, and, and she brings it. Um, the other two that I mentioned, Cult of Pedagogy and Better Leaders, uh, sometimes Jennifer Gonzalez does an interview. Uh, Daniel Bauer, he typically has an interview. It's out of the norm when he does a solo episode.
0: And are, is their target just teachers, or, or is anyone reaching, or trying to reach students with their podcast? These particular podcasts, these are geared
2: towards teachers and administrators. Um, I don't have any podcasts on my network that hmm. are geared towards the students, but one that I am aware of, um, the gentleman's name is Joe Sanfilippo, and he's from uh, Fall Creek, and uh, his he, he does a podcast in his district as the superintendent that is, he has kids on, it's geared yeah. towards the school community. Um,
0: I think yeah. that'd be a great way, go ahead, go ahead, Mike.
1: Well, what about like future educators, students in college wanting to be teachers, thinking about ways to further their education right now while they're in school? You know, they've maybe got three years left before they're out there doing what you guys do, teaching, and they want the advice. Any podcast focused towards them at all? Or probably actually all of them, probably actually, when you think about it, all towards them. I I can't
2: point you to the new teacher or I want to be (laughs) a (laughs) teacher podcast. Right, right.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, that's I a great title. Someone's got to jump on that. Someone's got you a, should have one, yeah.
1: Yeah, someone's got to get that niche market. I'm sure Dave already bought the domain. No,
0: <laughs> there we go. He might um,
1: have.
2: But any of these podcasts, they would – somebody who wants to be a teacher or is just coming into the profession, these are all great shows because they right. cover such a variety of topics, whether it's technology or leadership or just, hey, you had a crappy day. Here's a pick-me-up. Listen, and you could listen to an episode.
0: I love the concept of the, stupor, the superintendent speaking to his students through podcast. I think that's a perfect, like, I, we, we have, I have been down that path. You know, that's why we started podcasting at Gallup. We had things to say to our customers. And so it was like, you know, at first, yeah, we started with a couple hundred. We're doing thousands now. And it's pretty cool to kind of see that work. And I think... And anytime you have a single person who needs to communicate with bunches of people, whatever that is, a 100 or a 1,000 or 10,000 or whatever, like, man, I, I love that idea of jumping on a microphone, cranking it out, putting it out on some kind of regular basis. And they say the millennials, the kids, and actually the millennials are not the children who are in school today. So for anybody who's, you know, I get, I get a little weary of this, like, oh, the kids in school, the millennials. No, no, no. The millennials have all, they're all... <laughs> Actually, in college and our, our, have graduated already. Those are the millennials. But people say to me all the time, "Oh, millennials are not listening to podcasts." I, I just don't think children or that age have been taught how to do it yet. They'll watch YouTube. Uh, they'll watch some. You know, they'll watch TV. They'll watch that kind of content. We just need to make it available for them. I don't think we give them enough credit sometimes, and we immediately dismiss it and say, "Well, we shouldn't create anything for them because they'll never watch it." I think that's a mistake. I think we should be making the content, and if it's good and compelling, they'll watch
1: it. Don't you well, think? And, and you know, a customer base I think we're forgetting about, though, is the parents. How awesome sure. would it be if the parents started listening to these podcasts that are meant for teachers, and all of a sudden the parents realized that it's it's not the teacher's fault. It might be their kid that's actually acting out, and it's not the teacher's fault. You know, there's this whole like this thing moving now where all the parents just want to blame the teachers. But how awesome would it be if the, te- if the parents realized, hey, they are p- producing excellent plans for our students. Maybe I should talk to my kid about his behavior instead of blaming the teacher for not teaching him correctly. Maybe there's another customer base that could be reached by those. But Jim, you had an awesome point for Chris.
2: Mike, I was going to just say, uh, make sure you write that down and remember that in about five or six years.
1: I will try it my absolute hardest. And it's really easy to say that right now as a, I get mad at some other people my age who are getting mad at their teachers. But mm-hmm. when it's your own kid, it might be a little different. So I will try super hard in like five or six years uh, when they start school. <laughs> And Jim, I'm chipping away. My four-year-old, he's been
2: on my podcast, so that, that goes to that whole, I can't wait for 20 years from now when we can go back and listen to it. Yeah. Um, but he also knows in the car, we listen to podcasts. You know, he, he listens to everything I listen to, and he's four years old and he gets it. He knows what a podcast is. Uh, and just to go back, uh, the name of that superintendent's podcast, it's called the Go Crickets Podcast, and if you just type Go Crickets Podcast into iTunes, you can find it. No, oh, it's awesome.
0: I think it's a great way to do it. And I think, you know, we got to format this stuff a little bit different for the kids and to make it work and those kinds of things. Just as a side note, nothing to do with technology. You know, I have five kids. Uh, all of them are, have gone through school. I have one senior in high school. We've successfully got them all through and launched in various forms in college. One of the best pieces of advice I've ever given to parents, and Mike, I'll give this to you, and Chris, I think you'll, you'll appreciate this, is in every class, go in and meet with the teacher as often as you can and become their friend and tell them you support them uh, and that here's my email address. If my child ever gets in in any situation, I want you to email me right away and we're going to have a conversation. And man, I tell you what, when the teachers knew that I was on their side, they treated my kids differently And, uh, and I think better. And we had great relationships and it didn't come without bruises or bumps in the road. You know, I had some sixth grade conferences where I had to, Smack down my child in front of the principal and the and the teacher to say I support the teachers. It's super really it's really super important that the, the kids know that the parents are behind the education system. What's going on? And if you the parents are fighting the teachers, we've lost. from right. that standpoint. we've got just to get think, the, you know. Go ahead, Chris.
2: I was gonna say, just think about what it's like for the the parent of a child who is a teacher. So when you go in as a teacher to meet with a teacher,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a fine line. We, yeah. it's, it's a fine line.
0: Yeah. No, and I think know. it
1: sits on both sides. I mean this is – and this is, like I said, so easy for me to say as a future parent but not a parent yet. But I think it's raising your kid to know that, hey, I'm going to be behind your teacher. Like you can't come crying home to mom and I'm not going to – you know, or dad, and I'm not going to come running to the teacher and defend you on certain things. Like you are going to school because I believe it's important to you, and your educators are – well-trained, well-educated, and I believe in them. And so you're going to have a lot to answer to when you come home if you got in trouble. Like, there's going to be consequences there. And I think somewhere, like in the last 10 years, that got lost. Like, somewhere it was like, oh, no, if I came home and I got in trouble, it's it's not their fault. Anymore. Well, I so, think school
0: became a consumer item where people – That's probably true. Riot, right? The where consumerization – the way we've seen uh, people take to it. We're going to get super political here, and Chris, oh, that one yeah. super <laughs> That's <uncomfortable>. true. <laughs> so we're going to stop. I don't mean that. to
1: twist it into that area. It's it's the way my brain yeah. works when I'm going to be a parent it's, of a future kid. So it's just well, it, that's great. That's great.
2: It, yeah. it, that's the reality. You know, and, and oftentimes, the, the student, the children, they are our number one stakeholder. They are the most important shareholder in this industry. And yes, education is a business. Unfortunately, too many times, we are forgetting about the
0: shareholder like we do not do in other businesses. That's
1: that's a great way to put it. That should be on a billboard somewhere. Yeah.
0: Hey, this this education thing, no matter what country you're in, whether in the United States or Australia, UK, wherever you're at around the world, um, it's hard stuff, and everybody's got a little bit of a different approach to it. Uh, there are some great parents and great teachers with bad kids. There's some great great kids and some great teachers and some bad parents, and there's some bad teachers and there's some good kids and good parents. The the point being is it's a partnership in there. This is what we found. It's a partnership. And man, my teachers knew who I was and and who my kid was. And I and I told the teacher I, was, I had their back until they proved otherwise. And so it was it was just one of those things that. And you know what? We went through twelve years. Never once did a did I get a teacher who we went, oh, well, you know what? Once we said, hey, we got your back, man. They'd fight for us. It was awesome. And the kids. Got great educations, and they 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 treated our kids differently. So, um, anyways, not the point of the tech and the ed and all those right. other things. But it it's it after twenty, you know, after twenty five years of having kids in the edu- you know, at least in the United States in the education in our education system and doing a lot of things, we were very engaged parents in in the the conversation uh, when it talked about our education. I feel like I can say a little bit about it at the end of the day. Well, so, when we get Jim, to your point
2: about having the teachers back that's just about like behavior and you know you see how your kids get treated differently if parents went in if they attended their school board meetings and they let their teachers know you know this is where parents might not be familiar with tablets and all this technology that's happening in all these places just let your teachers know that you will support them as parents don't be afraid to say okay i don't know necessarily what website you want my kid to use but i might have to learn along with them so you still have to have that support. So yeah, it it I think that support is relevant to the technology in the education space.
1: I think that's totally true, especially when you think of all the concerns with privacy and everything that they deal with in the legal sector. I mean, that's what every, you know, school system is worried about, right? Worried about the privacy of their students, the well being of their students. And when a parent brings up that thing of, hey, you know, what about this? What about that? You know, I think you're totally right. The backing of the teacher is saying, hey. I trust you that whatever you're submitting my student to will be okay is uh, is, is relevant oh. in the technology sphere. I think that's a totally relevant thing in the privacy era.
2: And that, and that's where you get into there, – there are some districts, there's a, a, a girlfriend of mine. Um, don't tell my wife. No. <laughs> 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 that there are a lot of great sites out there to be used in education, but they're not COPA compliant. And right. they're geared towards education, but then a district will f- stand on their policy that – you know, if you're not COPA compliant, we're not going to use your site or your service in our district. So that, that's a very important hot button issue.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of hot buttons, I know I'm going to get a few angry tweets or a few angry emails from folks saying, Jim, how dare you? My kids are the most important things. And we've had terrible teachers in the system. I get that. Hey guys, it happens around what my point is being through all this, be engaged in your school system, good or bad, get engaged get in there. If they don't know, listen, many of you who are listening to this program right now have some pretty awesome superpowers when it comes to technology. You could be jumping in your school district and helping, right? That could be one of those things where you could volunteer to do a computer club, volunteer to help the teacher, step in and do some tutoring. Figure, hey, if tutors, you're not, you
2: know, let, let me pitch this to you. Yeah. There's a big movement, the, the maker movement. So a lot of school districts and their school libraries, they're creating maker spaces. So for your audience, Check with your school. Check with the school librarian. Do they have a maker space? Maybe they're looking for old gadgets or an old computer. You know, It might be a 1998 compact. A kid doesn't know the difference. They might want to just take it apart and put it back together. You know, Just bring in old gadgets and let the kids tinker with them.
1: When you say maker, are you talking about content or hardware or what kind of stuff? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Perfect answer. That's what I want to yeah. hear. No, those <laughs> lots of different I mean,
0: things. Yeah. they can do. You know, there's lots. Of, we have access to the corporate. You know, most of most of the listeners are working in some kind of space in corporate America, and we recycle or do whatever with a lot of our computer equipment. And oftentimes, some of that stuff could make its way into into some school districts that could need it. We're we're running a high school program this next fall where we're hoping we get 60 kids, 60 high school kids, to come in on Saturday mornings, nine to one, and learn software development. We know we're going to get some kids, and it's a BYOD, bring your own device in. We know we're yep. going to have some students who don't or can't bring in on their own gear. I've had my guys, my hardware guys, holding back our, the laptops that we're just getting ready to get rid of, holding back because they're all they're doing is JavaScript development. They could do it on anything, right? But So we're holding back laptops, and I'm hoping to have 35 to 40 laptops in a cart that and Windows because that's what we need and the kids can check those out on Saturday mornings when they come in and, and and you know do their work on it that's what I'm talking about getting engaged that's how I'm using my tech superpower at work to help the school and not just this isn't actually none of my kids will benefit from this right well, I'm doing this for a community and I'm hoping we we have the parents in by the way man they just think this is the greatest thing since sliced bread and peanut butter right I mean they are they're all about it so that's what I'm talking about about using your superpower is you've, everybody's in these unique situations and think, how can I take the tech we have and how can I help it benefit the school district or a local school or whatever? Here's Millions what they of need girls. to do. Go ahead.
2: I'll give you an example. Uh, before my dad got back into teaching, he worked, uh, he, he was in the, the tech part of international banking. Worked in New York City and at least twice in my K-12 experience, the bank he worked for at, any, at those two times, they were getting rid of old hardware And they reached out to my district, and they donated, I guess, for the tax write-off, they donated, you know, 100 towers, big CRT monitors, keyboards, the whole thing. And then my district took them, and, you know, then they became district hardware. You know, it it was old for the banking industry, but it was great for schools. Mm -hmm. So for your audience, for you guys listening, contact your local school district business administrator, and make that – that's your point of contact, most likely – if you want to donate or get hardware into your schools,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, I just encourage get involved. Like we're doing a high school internship program. We're going to back that up to junior high eventually too. But, and this is a situation where we don't even have to go to the school. The kids come to us, and we're figuring out uh, creative ways, especially in the low low income areas. Fortunately, my office is smack dab in the middle of these low income areas, so they don't have far to travel. We actually are uh, going to partner with Urban League this year and they're going to drive vans around and pick up the kids and bring them to our office. Then these kids in our office are going to chance to get to do web development on equipment that we have in our building and those kinds of things. So you can be creative. There's tons of ways to do it and it's just it's just awesome. So, Chris, thanks for that.
2: We hey, want two more things.
0: Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go. go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: Uh, in the fall, for, for your techies in the audience, Get involved, if you can, in what's called Hour of Code, hourofcode.org, and that is to bring coding into the schools, so maybe you can make a guest appearance, do a guest lecture about coding, or do a little workshop after school, Uh, and then in the spring, there's something called Teen Tech Week, where, again, connect with your local district, see if they're doing anything, and this is uh, in April, you know, maybe you can come in and do a workshop on scripting or game development and show kids what's available, so...
0: Yeah, that's In Omaha, yeah. here, and this is a national, we have Girls Who Code. That's another organization where girls can get, they meet at libraries and they start local chapters and they do these 20-week programs. I just went to their final, uh, they did a final presentation on Saturday, and so I went down to the AIM Exchange building here in Omaha and saw these kids deliver. Now, one of them's in our program, which is really cool. She applied and made it into our program. I was super excited to meet her and her parents. It was awesome community work. And guess what? It cost me an hour on Saturday to go out and make that connection that day, right? Uh, so I'll encourage folks to, to do that. Chris, any other, I want to wrap it. I'm going to, I'm going to shorten some things up here a little bit, but anything else you want to throw in when we think about the, the ed tech piece before we wrap it? No, nah, I pretty much said my piece. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Do you, do you feel like we were successful in, uh, in communicating some of the pieces? I, I, maybe not your traditional home gadget geek show where we kind of geek out on the equipment, but I like to do these every once in a while to get my listeners thinking about doing things besides hoarding our gadgets. Like you know, I get a little weary of talking about iPads and Windows, and it's a ton of fun. But but as a community, we have such a we can be such a force if we choose to be. Chris, it sounds like for us, we could get involved in education.
2: I think you hit it on the head when you use the term "What's your tech superpower?" You know, and that's something I'm big on. Everybody, we're all individuals. We're all unique. We all have a different perspective. So we all have a different skill set. So anybody in this audience right now can bring something unique into education that has roots in technology, and they should. Why wouldn't you? Even if you don't have kids in the school system, you're paying taxes.
0: Get involved. Yeah. Carve out some time. Get involved with the schools. Start small. Don't, don't, don't bite it off. <laughs> don't, don't, don't try to eat the elephant in one bite. Find something small. Volunteer for one thing and let that snowball into some other stuff. Figure out where your right contribution is and jump in there and get it done. If you're coming home and you're just geeking out at home, and that's great too, but there's some, there's a lot of great things that we can do to help out our school, help out our kids, help out technology, and it's not always about iPads or Chromebooks. And we talk about those things, but sometimes it's just about getting involved in the, in the school that's near you or with where your kids are and get some things going. Chris, let's really quick switch gears. Uh, we're going to condense your gadget list, though. I want What's your one go-to favorite gadget? Something like if it breaks, you would just be devastated. What do you like? What do you have to have?
2: I'd have to say my iPad mini. It's pretty much an extra appendage at this point. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's where I'm using Twitter and... Connecting and taking pictures, and surfing the web, and reading blogs, and listening to podcasts. So that that's my go-to yeah.
0: gadget. Great little consumption device, uh, from that standpoint. And it will do all those things actually pretty well. Do you read? I assume you read books, Audible podcasts, all that stuff. Is you're doing it all in that device?
2: Yep, and yeah. and even you know when I go out to conferences and events, I, I use the iPad to create content. So hooking up the microphone to the iPad and all that fun stuff.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. Do you use a? Um, that lightning connector to USB and use a USB mic, or how are you getting sound into the Lightning
2: iPad? to the, the the camera kit, mm-hmm. ATR2100, yeah. and yeah. Boss Jock.
0: Nice. Right on, right on. Hey, I use that just from an audience standpoint. You know, I talked about that Rode mic that uh, plugs into the side. It's a 60, $60 or so. Yeah, like a little smaller than yours. We showed it on the show three or four weeks ago. Right. I actually have it at work. I've been using it. And, uh, man, that thing actually works pretty well. I went back and listened to some of the interviews that I did. We were, you know, across the table, so it wasn't too far away, but it did help. It was a lot better sounding than the, uh, the, the, the you know, the standard built-in mic on an iPhone. 2100 would be great. Mike, you've been using the heck out of that microphone that's on your on your camera there, right? And we know that sounds pretty good for vlogging.
1: Oh, I love it. We've talked about this one. And if you want to even go the pro model, that'd be even better. But if this is just fantastic, any addition to audio that you can do is better than what you've got built in. It's just always a guarantee. Like if you have a DSLR, any external microphone, probably if it's over like $80, I'd say it's probably gonna be better than what you have built in. So yeah. I've been loving Here's it. Here's something real quick, guys. Yeah, go. That microphone you just showed,
2: Mike. My wife is also a photographer in addition to being a high school librarian. So I we have that microphone. I, I'm, I'm looking at it. It's over on oh, her yeah. desk. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's the That's best. the mic. It's the mic I started using when I podcasted. I plug, really? The, I plug the analog cable into my laptop. I put it on the tripod, and for those first four or five episodes. I thought I was freaking Casey Kasem recording a podcast. Of course, you know, <laughs> yeah.
1: hey, it's it, it gets you there. It gets the job done. That's the thing, and that's that's funny. When Jim and I both talked about this microphone for the first time, I said, "Hey, there are people who use this as like an interview microphone. They will extend that thing out there and use it, and it it works just fine. You can use it for any sort of thing. It's a uh, it's universal. Yeah, it's great. Worked great. I did. It worked work great." I did. <laughs> Mike, you've
0: um in pre-show we're talking about the the Hero Pro you had some advice if if folks weren't thinking about getting a GoPro you have a little bit of advice Throw that for in. sure
1: yeah and I'll show it real quick so this is the entire GoPro 4 session so this is going to be the cheapest entry you can get nowadays if you're buying a brand new GoPro This is the cheapest one you can buy. But I think it's by far one of the best ones you can buy for a few reasons. For you simple users out there, so this is in the off state. If I wanted to turn it on and start recording, it's one button. You tap the record button, it turns the camera on and starts recording at the same time. So it's boom, it's on, it's recording. I tap it again, it it stops recording and turns it off. Because there's no need, right? This thing doesn't have a monitor. There's no need to have this powered up for any other reason. So um, if you guys are looking for a GoPro, this does... I mean, I don't even know the resolution. It goes with, I think, like 1440 by whatever that goes by. Uh, For me, 1080p at 60 frames a second. That's what I needed for my vlogging. And the entire thing is waterproof. So this entire canister, there's no case you need to put it in. Uh, The entire thing is waterproof. So when you guys are looking at those sort of cameras, it's the cheapest end model for the new cameras. And my advice would be to you guys, Um, so we were looking at this camera, and it was $200 on GoPro.com. But if you go to a place like REI... Shields, whatever your equivalent is to like any place, I guess, that sells GoPro equipment. Uh, We got the entire, it's called the GoPro Session Kit. I mean, it's an entire bundle made by GoPro, not by anyone else. And for about the same price, I think it was like $210. For an extra $10, you get the Wi-Fi remote, you get mounts, you get a nice branded GoPro case to put everything in. So really do your shopping. Uh, When you're ordering your GoPro, don't just order it off the website. Go and check out your local retailers and see what they have, because GoPro makes a lot of bundles, and for those retailers, they sell them at a really reasonable price. So, right. yeah, I just want to quickly mention that, because it's been an awesome addition. I just got it today, but it's already uh, filmed some vlog footage that's going in this weekend, so great little camera. Much you smaller when, you, when you think of, of, well, look, I mean, just look at the size difference, yeah. how nice is that? Right. Downside the, sound? Of the session, sound that is what I was going to mention. So yeah. you cannot, as far as like, so this old GoPro, you could add a camera on an extra or sorry, an external microphone. You cannot add an external microphone, but the sound on this is actually fantastic. I did some test footage, not too bad. For being a completely waterproof housing, you would think the microphones would be a little bit muffled, but they're not. There's actually two or three of them around this case. There's microphones all over it. You can see on the front, the back, the side. So it's uh, it's got some great quality sound for a completely waterproof housing GoPro.
0: Yeah. Very cool. I, they've got to be working on that, right? Uh, I've, I've bought I a think this cubes.
1: is the form factor they want to get to, right? Like, yeah. why, why not? It's all one cube. There's no case. I think if they could get their Hero 4 Black and all of the technology they have in that thing, all of the specs, if they could get that into this form factor and I can do this and this is my entire rig, that's awesome. That's pretty yeah. sweet. That'd be great. That's pretty sweet.
0: I've been using my... I've got that same or very similar... Tripod that you right. have there, and we've been doing interviews, man on the street interviews at work for some millennial uh, videos that we're making. And I just slapped that my phone on there, that road mic, put it on that on that tripod. Man, it just
1: goes anywhere, and you can set it up and then hit record, and boom. You're, well, that's uh, one thing I was going to mention on those tripods. So this is a Joby brand. Joby's very popular. The Bendy, right? They make the Gorilla Pod. It's the brand. Well, Joby, what they also make is tripod toppers. So this is a tripod I've had for a while. But they make a topper, and what the topper does is that the thing we all love about the Joby's, it's a push and snap sort of system. You have one attachment on the bottom of your camera, and you can go onto this. Well, that means that you can put it on then, click, snap, put it on a big tripod. You're there. You don't have to unscrew, re-screw. You don't have to do anything with the attachment. It's the same attachment for everything. So one thing to consider is brand loyalty. No matter what the brand is, it doesn't have to be Joby, but Joby's a nice one because it all comes together, all your equipment on the same Tripods. Yeah.
0: Mike Ken was asking, any reason that uh, you got that one? Uh, isn't your older one better?
1: Not. No. Actually, my my older one is a uh, it's a Hero 3 Silver, not even a Hero 3 Plus. So uh, when I was looking at the new ones, this is a hundred dollars cheaper for me. Honestly, all I need is 1080p at 60 frames. I'm not looking to do 4K. Uh, it's not for. I'm just vlogging. No one wants to see my face in that much detail. Let me tell you, that's something I don't want. So uh, so for me, this was the best option it's small it's compact it's waterproof the entire thing it's cheaper and it does the resolution i want to do and then some it does like like i said i don't remember what the resolution is like 1440 by something but this one does the uh the the biggest thing for me was 60 frames a second right this old gopro only did 30 frames a second at 1080p this one does 60 so if i want to slow something down at 1080 looks a lot better when you got 60 frames which is also consistent with my DSLR, so I want them all working in conjunction uh-huh. when I'm editing that video together, and uh, that does a great job for it. So yeah, for me, this one worked great. You can go with the silver or the black. They're fantastic cameras, but for $100 less, you get a fantastic camera in this session. Chris, is any of these
0: GoPro stuff, this genre, being used in schools? or Are- are we making some head, headway and folks making videos and using that in the learning process
2: yeah, i 've seen students who have you know GoPros or they, uh i guess the predecessor would be like the flip cams, the flip camera yeah <laughs> so kids making videos for video projects, so yeah kids kids are all about creating and being creative and using iMovie or other types of software to right. create awesome.
0: Do you hear many teachers using those in creative ways from a, from a learning process standpoint of Getting those GoPros out, maybe in some unique situations where they can then turn that into education.
2: In in, in my building, not the GoPro, but I we have a TV production studio, and a, oh. there's a TV production teacher. So we we have some Canon cameras that are you know running around the building at any given time with kids doing news stories and things like that. Um, I, I know in science classrooms they have used other kinds of cameras, or so the kids will use their their own devices to to capture video. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, in school, it's not about any specific device. It's about the concept of creating.
0: Yeah. No. Right on. I think there's some great opportunities there. Everybody's a little bit different, but uh, that's that's um with especially with the equipment. Getting those GoPros, Mike, at 200 bucks, that's actually really reasonable. Yeah. Right. And pretty standard. Completely. Uh,
1: to get that done. And and this rugged. You don't get a you don't get a camera that's this rugged that, just rugged for the price that does this sort of it. quality. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The entire thing. Oh
1: right on let your kid chew on it you know right like it's like a little block size it's like it's like your abc block so the baby will be just yeah. i'm gonna give it to the baby and see what the baby what kind of footage the baby gets you'll need that
0: for the new one that's coming your way that's do
1: very, true. very 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 soon it's at the Beginning in well. november yeah it's coming out super quick i'm gonna you're be sure. a dad
0: Fast you're gonna move back. you're gonna get your answer to the bar exam you're gonna have a child um, a job the job, the job is the more
1: important part. Yeah, <laughs> let's start that job. Let's get yeah, that Hopefully, good. we'll
0: get to, we'll keep you podcasting through the uh, exactly. are it, so it'll be great. Hey, one reminder as we go on our way out here, stay around for some post show uh, that we're gonna do after we're done. But. Mike and I are putting together a fantasy football league again this year. If you're interested in joining, I thought maybe if we waited till the end, we'd get the most die-hard listeners. Mike, not the right. ones who just found us on iTunes to, you know. But those die-hard listeners, if you were in the league last year and you want to join us, uh, let us know again. Send me an email, Jim at theaverageguy.tv. I'll ship that over to Mike, and we'll put the lead together. I had a ton of fun, and it was awesome to do as part of the podcast network. We were pitting 1080 uh, or the, or the 10, 2980. <laughs> 2980. I 1080. I had the cameras.
1: <laughs> yeah, you had the cameras in your mind. It's okay. It's okay. The ten, we're the 1080p network. Uh, on uh,
0: 2980 network against the tag network here. Uh, Mike's network is a little <laughs> bit on hiatus. But we'd still love hopefully most of your listeners came over and are joining us over. I'm gonna throw it out to the
1: vlog community. Maybe they'll join. We'll oh, see. Yeah. You, you never know.
0: For sure. We'd love to put it's a community day. together. Fantasy football. You don't even have to care about football. It's just a ton of fun. TikTok smack every week and, and see who wins. So if you're interested in joining us for and we have to do this pretty quick here, yeah, send yeah. us an email. Jim at the average guy.
1: We have to have it done by the I think the beginning of September. So we've got a little bit over a month or yeah, I think about a month to get this done. So send us in your request soon. Soon is what we need. Don't soon. forget, we
0: got we have new limited edition stickers. If you'd like to get those, three dollars on Patreon. Just uh, head out to theaverageguy.tv/support or theaverageguy.tv and click on the Patreon link. It'd be fun. I just was wondering if, if these would if people would be interested in them. And so we got 30. When they're gone, they're gone. We'll we'll probably do a new one when they're gone. But uh, if we don't get them. If we don't uh, get them sold, I'll just have to give them away to Mike and folks that show up at the home <laughs> Service show meetup. But if you want to get one of those limited edition, they're out there. They're available 3 bucks on, on uh, Patreon. We'll get them shipped, get one shipped to you, from me to you. We're going to ask for your address there. TheAverageGuy.tv slash Patreon or just go to TheAverageGuy.tv and look for the Patreon link. Don't forget, you can con- uh, contact me anytime during the week if you want. Jim at TheAverageGuy.tv. Let me know if you're going to join us for the football Fantasy football league. Find me on Twitter at Jake Carlson. Hey Mike, now 5,000 uh, followers on Twitter. I've been playing oh. Twitter Go, not Pokemon Go. Twitter Go. Twitter Go. Can hey, you I- catch them all? It's a more I-
1: useful version. Things yeah, actually we'll, pan out we'll for you see. more than uh. Cl- yeah, we'll see.
0: I am a little skeptical if if it'll actually mean anything. I've gotten a little more engagement on Twitter, and it's kind of kept me out there. So if you're interested in joining me on Twitter at Jake Carlson, don't forget the AverageGuy.tv TV platform, both web hosting and media hosting, powered by Maple Grove Partners. Get secure, reliable, high-speed hosting. From people that you know and trust, you know, that's Christian. Actually, I did a Cyber Frontiers on Monday. We didn't tell very many people about it. Christian uh, and uh, Waruna. Uh, on there, and then I forgot to produce it this week, so it's sitting in the queue. I'll be uh, doing that production. This I can week. always
1: tell in the chat room if there's chat. Like like three days ago, I'm like, well, that's not a week ago. There must have been another show uh, I that he used the
0: chat room no. for. So. It's weird. We recorded it Monday, and then I just totally forgot about it. And tonight I was looking at the old shows, and I'm like, oh, that's right. We recorded Shoot. that Monday night. So. You'll get a Cyber Frontiers and a Home Gadget Geeks this weekend. We'll try and crank those both out. I want to thank Roger at WLMN Radio for broadcasting us live on Terrestrial Radio. They're in Grafton, West Virginia. And so, Roger, thanks for doing that as well. You can uh, Don't forget, we've got the app sponsored by LastPass. If you want an easy way to listen to our show live or just catch it anywhere when you're on the road, it's a great way to listen to it streaming. Head out to HomeGadgetGeeks.com and download that version there. We thank LastPass for their sponsorship of that, and you guys did a great job in the month of July of using the Average Guy Tech Scholarship Fund, so if you go to the averageguy.tv slash Amazon when you're purchasing from Amazon, of course, that goes into the scholarship fund, and you get, uh, from that, either we'll send you out things to review that you can write up, or Posting, the, you're distracting me, Weeger. What are Sorry, you? Sorry, but was it
1: all me with the new house? There's been a lot of Amazon news. Oh, I think maybe I, I might have funded your entire thing with New House products. That's the only uh, thing. I have to have to but no, it could have need, been you. They should keep helping you too. Well, the audience
0: didn't. Someone yeah, they did a great. Nice someone did an awesome job. guy.tv <laughs> <The laughs> slash amazon takes care of that and uh, helps the network as well as the the uh, the scholarship fund stuff. If you want to test something or try it, let me know. We'll ship it to you. You can write about it or show up on the show and uh, that's, our, that's our way of getting really decent reviews. Don't forget, the newsletter now is weekly, and it has the four-week upcoming schedule that's in it. So I'm actually getting more of you are opening it now than we're opening it before, which is good. We track all that stuff on a weekly basis. Uh, head out to the averageguy.tv newsletter. Sign up. I promise I'll never spam you, but we will give you weekly updates on what's coming out with the newsletter. So if you want that kind of format, uh, information for me, a little bit of personal information We go, but mostly what's, coming, what's going on in the network, head out to guy.tv slash newsletter. We are live every Thursday, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern. We try and keep it to an hour and tw- 20 minutes. It's been an hour and 30 most weeks now, but it's always good. Chris, thanks for taking some time tonight to be on the program. I appreciate it. Jim, thank, thank you so much Mike. It, it was a pleasure to be on your podcast.
2: Uh, and again, if you know, you know a teacher, please send them to the House of Ed Tech send them to chrisnessy.com. I'd love to connect and learn whatever I can from anybody.
0: You bet, we'll put all those links to Chris's uh, sites and his tweet, his Twitter are gonna be in the show notes. Head out to the HGG272, Home Gadget Geeks 272 is what that stands for. And the links will be there. We're we'll back next Thursday, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern. Watch the schedule because I do have some weeks coming off. I'll be recruiting, and I've got some weeks where we'll be off. This would be—it would be strategic not to come out on a Thursday night if when we're not doing it. Uh, and if you—if you have the newsletter, you know for sure. With that, we'll say goodnight, everybody.